everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by TechNode, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. I'm Elliot Zagman, and with me is a man who, when he is on Wall Street walking past that famous bronze bull, he does not rub that bronze bull's jewels for good luck. No, 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 no. That bull rubs him. It's James Hull. All right, where did that come from? I mean, I got that. that <laughs> usually, there's something like kind of connected to the uh, content or something. Like that's out of nowhere, left, you know, left yeah. field. There. All right, improv, improv. Man. You got to take improv classes. This is what you learn. Is are you taking improv classes? Is that, is that I took it a while ago. I, I did Beijing improv back in the day when I was in Beijing. All right. Anyways, disclaimer. disclaimer. Here we go. Um, nothing said in this podcast should be construed as investment advice. I guess particularly this podcast, this episode, we have on someone from our watch list, one of our watch list companies, and they're from the company, so they have a particular view, obviously. We've had on a, someone on the short side, so we've had that view, not on the same, the same company, but you know, in general, uh, we like to hear different views. We like to hear, you know, a little bit of everything. We're about seeking truth from facts. So we want to hear, yeah. you know, from everybody. This is also, you know, this is entertainment. This is not, you know, investment advice. Don't make not investment don't advice. Don't make your investment decisions, you know, based on podcasts. Yeah. So we have today David Liu, the VP of strategy for Pinduoduo. This is a little different than what we usually do because usually the people, the guests we'll have on are they're journalists, they're analysts. Um, we don't usually have executives from our watch list companies, but the folks at Pinduoduo, they, they reached out to us. They want, they wanted to come on. Um, they've been, you know, really great about this, very open about, about everything. So, uh, yeah, we thought we'd have them on and I thought we had a really good conversation. Like, but once again, yeah, like this is, you know, this is obviously someone who works on behalf of the company is going to be representing the company, right? So uh, you get one side of it. And, you know, sometimes we have short sellers on and we get another side. We do want to hear uh, our feedback from our listeners uh, just to, to let us know how, like, what you think about this. You know, we've had some people talk to us before, some suggestions saying that we should have on more executives, have on more representatives of companies. And usually we do, we have been a little bit apprehensive about that because, it does end up getting into the kind of, uh, you know, kind of corporate speak, giving a, you know, the, just the, the, the company line with things. But I do think it, it is important to get perspective of the companies, especially with some, with a company like Pinduoduo, I think, which, which has been so volatile, um, and has, you know, I think altogether done really well, but really been up and down and that, a lot of, I think, a lot of investors and a lot of listeners uh, still don't have a full grasp on on what exactly the business is and what exactly you know they can expect the business to become. So uh, we thought that this would be a good opportunity to to address some of those issues with uh, with VP of Strategy uh, for Pinduoduo, David Liu. Anything you want to add to that, James? Nope. Just that you know we do talk about Pinduoduo in earlier podcasts. Obviously, uh, if you're a new listener, you can check those out. We will talk about them again in the future. But yeah, let's get to our interview with David Liu. So we have talked in a few previous episodes about Pinduoduo. Pinduoduo has a very, very interesting business model and is really making waves in China's e-commerce sector. Joining us today uh, is David Liu. David Liu is VP of Strategy for Pinduoduo, and he's going to tell us more about the company. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. We, we, we have spoken 
on this podcast a bit before about Pinduoduo. Obviously, they're um, a very interesting and really dynamic company. One of like the big kind of question marks around the company that I think a lot of folks need clarification on is just about the business model of Pinduoduo. What makes it different from a JD or an Alibaba? So can you tell us a little bit more about the business model, what Pinduoduo hopes to accomplish, and, and what makes uh, your platform different? Sure. Well, thank you for the question. So Pinduoduo operates an innovative new e-commerce platform that provides buyers for uh, with value for money merchandise and a fun and interactive um, shopping experience. Buyers come to our platform to browse, explore, and purchase uh, attractive value for money uh, merchandise from third-party merchants. This is very different from a search-based uh, business model that you have uh, with other e-commerce platforms. So Pinduoduo is born in what we consider to be kind of the mobile internet era where users have interact with the devices fundamentally differently. Their attention spans a little bit shorter. They come, they browse, they spend, um, they're multitasking on the go. So what we have designed uh, the experiences to be uh, is more exploratory. We think um, shopping should be fun uh, on the device. Uh, users can come to our platform. They will look through what is available. And our algorithms are designed to learn and understand their behavior and continue to present them with more merchandise that appeal um, to their interests. Uh, so it's one, that's one element of very different. Um, it is a uh, fee-based uh, fee or push-based um, uh, e-commerce platform as opposed to a search-based e-commerce platform. Mm. The other thing that we do very differently fundamentally is um, focusing on users and their interactions with their social networks. So there's a lot of features on our platform that encourages our user to share what they have uh, discovered on our platform, found interesting, and to share that with um, others that they uh, think the product will appeal to. From there, uh, together, they can both receive certain discounts or better pricing um, on our platform, therefore um, uh, creating value for um, them and their own social networks. So the other thing I would note is that because of our push-based business model, our e-commerce platform have a very um, strong ability to aggregate demand around mm. certain SKU, certain products. So this actually enables our merchants to better optimize their own production, their own supply chain, uh, to create more value and saving for themselves, and thereby offering those savings through better pricing to our users. So you can see that by doing so, they actually create a positive feedback loop uh, which is we find to be a quite critical to the success of our platform. Okay, so there's, I guess, an easy way to think about this is that it takes the kind of the recommendation and social functions of a a Facebook or a Twitter or um, a Byte Dance and really brings them to the the e-commerce universe, uh, particularly for for mostly kind of everyday cheaper goods. Is that is that a, a fair characterization, or is it more than just kind of the everyday goods? Well, we would think about this actually a little bit differently. So we do sometimes use the analogy you or parallel you draw to a Facebook because of the uh, push fish, uh, the push features. Mm-hmm. Um, however, we would disagree in the sense that we actually think the core value proposition of Pinduoduo is this value for money concept. However, we don't equate that to being cheap. Mm. We actually see value for money as a universal appeal. So. What we're seeing is actually each individual user have a very different sense of what value for money for them is for different product categories. So for a user like myself, for example, who doesn't really have a good taste in clothing, I may choose to buy unbranded clothes as long as high quality is comfortable. 
But for 3C products where, frankly, it's dominated by a few brands, it is important to have the branded hardware where there are certain performance guarantees or quality assurance. So you can see that this is not only true of um, users, I would say, in the less developed areas of China, but it is also true of first-tier, second-tier users. We're seeing users in uh, first-tier cities, second-tier cities of China increasing their spending on our platform. So, you know, as a, a fact that we can point to in June, for example, 48% of our GMV came from first-tier, second-tier city, as opposed to 37% in January. So as we broaden our SKUs on our platform, broaden the categories available, we are able to um, identify or surf, um, present more and more, uh, uh, I would say, merchandise that users across different um, cities, different price points are finding attractive on our platform. All right. Hi, David. Could could you talk a little bit about the, I mean, I remember when I was first looking at Pinduoduo, the kind of C2M model was in, written up in a lot of research reports. And could you kind of help help our audience understand C2M? And is it still like an important part of the business model going forward? Yes, I think that, uh, so C2M for us is a very important long-term strategic initiative. It is important because we see that as a natural offshoot of our business model. Um, as I talked about earlier, because we run our business model closer to a Facebook uh, push-based um, uh, model based on users' interests and preferences, we have the ability to aggregate uh, demand around certain SKUs. So there is a very fundamental belief that underlies this, which is to say that users' um, demand or users' interests are not always so clearly defined. Most people don't go onto an e-commerce platform looking specifically for, you know, a, a pair of jeans that, you know, has certain number of pockets, um, you know, certain shades of blue. Instead, they look for a certain product kind of fits their needs and then it falls in the right price point of value. So what we have been able to do is not to actually present the users with every SKU possible, but rather sufficient selection within a certain uh, price point. Or essentially for the different perception of value for money, we have enough SKUs for users to choose from. The result of this approach is we actually end up aggregating scattered user demand onto specific SKU at specific time point. So for example, if you run a promotion uh, or work with a particular merchant to help push a certain product, then we have the ability to actually aggregate that demand. So if you think about what we're doing there with almost 500 million users, on the flip side, I have almost 4 million merchants and a bunch of them are actually manufacturers themselves. We can actually work with them to make products specifically tailored to consumer needs. So one example of C2M, for example, is a company called Deli. Uh, this is one of the largest glassware maker in China. They're an ODM manufacturer for IKEA, for Walmart. They manufacture, they make glasswares for them, ship it out, export them, and then sometimes these glassware gets re-imported into China at very high prices. However, as they try to make glasses themselves and actually build their own brand, they don't understand what consumers want, and they have a hard time defining the product exactly the way that it sells. So. There are two things at play here. One is they lack the ability to reach consumers directly and they don't know how to brand and market um, um, themselves. And two, they have a lack of understanding of what sells, right? And they don't have any confidence to really invest because they don't know where the demand is. 
Pinduoduo, in a sense, addresses both of these problems. We allow the sellers to go directly to consumers. At the same time, we provide them data and information on what the consumer preferences are. So, very interestingly, for Delete, they are now selling very well on a platform uh, with glasswares um, that are shorter uh, mm-hmm. stamps because you know in most Chinese families the shelf space aren't so tall, right? So you don't have the long late, long stem uh, glasswares, but you have a little bit shorter glasswares, and people like to put them in the washing machine. So the glassware is a little thicker, so they don't break as easy. And these sells extremely well on our platform. So that's an example where Pinduoduo's uh, C2M uh, initiative has created real value for our merchants. And they are now building entire, I think they have actually set up two production lines to make products specifically uh, for our consumers. So as you think about the platform and the C2M initiative, Pinduoduo is basically connecting or aggregating demand and connecting them with the right uh, producers such that we can actually extract more value from the um, entire value chain. The product producers can actually produce things more efficiently. Uh, they can save money uh, because they know exactly what they need to produce. They can invest with greater certainty in their operations. And we can help them optimize the delivery process to where the users are by aggregating the demand. Uh, as a result, more saving is actually realized in, across the entire value chain, which translates into lower costs for our users. And you can see with a lower price, you stimulate more sales, and then the cycle repeats. So that's why I would say that you know C2M is a very important and a very natural extension of our business model. However, I will caution to say that building brands uh, is a long-term um, uh, business, right? So C2M will continue to be an important initiative for us. But in terms of driving or revenue contribution, it will take time to build. Okay. Um, so with Pinduoduo's IPO filing and some subsequent filings have noted how, how much of your sales and marketing expense was related to these coupons or these incentive programs. And, and, and Pinduoduo, I mean, you've been expanding very, very quickly. And um, much of that expansion has been through very, very aggressive uh, sales and marketing spends. Can you give us an idea of where you have targeted these this marketing spend and how you are investing in the company's expansion? Sure. If you look through our PL, sales and marketing expense uh, represents the single largest line item. So it's not, no surprise that investors are focused on it. As we have communicated to the investor communities um, repeatedly, we actually see sales and marketing spend differently. We see it actually more as an investment in our user base. So if you think about Pinduoduo as an e-commerce platform, more so, I would say, than many of our peers, that user sits at the very center of it. Because of our focus on user interaction, we think of our, we think the, um, we think of it as in terms of investing in user engagement. If use, our users are continuing to come back to our platform to spend time to explore and to share what they find interesting about our platform with their friends and their social networks, then that will naturally turn, convert into uh, purchases on our platform. So sales and marketing for us achieve these purposes, and we do them really in three ways. So first uh, bucket of sales and marketing expense we uh, invest in are, I would say, kind of the offline uh, branding uh, exercises, uh, advertising that we do. So TV shows, New Year Galas, um, is overall branding to increase people's awareness of Pinduoduo, people's understanding um, and people's association. When people think of e-commerce, they think of Pinduoduo. That's not really targeted specifically to either bringing new users or activating old users, but generally creating confidence for people to shop and uh, spend time on Pinduoduo. 
The second bucket that we spend is on online advertising. So this is mainly about attracting new users or reactivating uh, old users who have may not have necessarily visited for a while to come back to Pinduoduo and explore. Because we're such a young platform and we continue to push out new features, the more people come back, the more they will discover and they will find interesting about our platform. And the last bit is, I think, what Al, you, you alluded to about coupon and promotions. We actually use coupon and promotions in many different ways. But the fundamental theme is actually to leverage coupons and um, promotions to encourage our users to explore the different features, the different products that we have brought onto the platform. So, for example, if a user always buys only fruits, we would like to encourage them to try the different product ca uh, categories that we also offer on platform. Then we may decide to give them uh, a coupon that is, you know, say $20 coupon off a $100 purchase. There are no $100 fruits on our platform for them to buy, which means they will be spending that $100 coupon, well, the $20 coupon for a $100 purchase. They will be exploring different categories, looking for other things that might interest them. This gives an opportunity to learn about their user behavior, and it also gives them an opportunity to understand more about what Pinduoduo has to offer. This is why we say that, you know, salsa marketing for us is very much an investment user engagement. Mm. And we also caution that there is actually a time lag, which is why I think, you know, you will see that we continue to spend consistently every quarter if we see that the salsa marketing spend themselves actually meet our internal ROI. We have very stringent ROI um, uh, program uh, in place to assess um, not only financially, but from operating metrics perspective whether these um, initiatives or these spending are yielding in the right type of user engagements. This includes, you know, by spending the money, are the users sharing more what they see on the platform? Their sharing, does that turn into a conversion? And do they, people end up seeing more different categories on our platform? Do they end up spending more time on our platform? And we actually track their behaviors over a one-month, three-month, six-month time period to assess the uh, return that we're getting from these spending. So I would say that, you know, we continue to be very focused on salsa marketing. We understand it is a large number, but we are doing it with a very uh, strong KPI objective in mind. Okay. James, you got more questions for David? Yeah, I was wondering, I mean, this might be, I think, I think you guys released it in your kind of most recent 6K from September 24th, but... Do you, I mean, maybe you don't have it with you, but do you do you know what the amount of sales and marketing expense was that was related to coupons and incentive programs? Like what percentage that was for the first half? Yeah, James, we actually don't disclose this number publicly. So, yes, um, so we talk about this as one of the main components, but we do not release these numbers. Um, so then could, maybe we can turn and talk about you, David, if that's okay. Sure. Kind of... Uh, how you came to work for Pinduoduo and kind of what your background is and what drew you to the company. Sure. I joined Pinduoduo at the beginning of the year after spending about 15 years as an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. I was running their technology uh, banking business across greater China. Pinduoduo is a young and vibrant tech company. And, you know, to my surprise, it has managed to scrub an e-commerce landscape that no one thought was possible. So when I joined, and what attracted me to Pinduoduo was the fact that it has a very differentiated approach to e-commerce that I found to be quite compelling. And I see a lot of potential uh, in P uh, Pinduoduo's open platform business model. 
you know, the value that, uh, that we talked about earlier about aggregating demand and connecting with the right merchants to essentially create a virtual integration um, of the supply chain and therefore create value for you know, both the manufacturers themselves and also for consumers. You know, one of the things that this platform has been able to do, for example, is to actually leverage this ability to aggregate demand to alleviate poverty, to help farmers, to sell direct to consumers and also allow them to make more profit. So for somebody like me who's been on Wall Street for uh, essentially my entire career, this was a very refreshing uh, opportunity to make an impact, um, to work with a high growth company, to leverage the technology, to leverage the business model, to actually, you know, not only generate uh, profit and growth, but also create greater social impact and to help reshape you know, the e-commerce landscape. So that, to me, was very fascinating. Yeah, one, one, one thing that I'm wondering, I, I want to get back. Sorry, I, I don't know, James, if you have more personal questions, but that, that made me think of something. And if, if, if you don't have a good answer for it, you know, we can cut it out, no worries. But one thing that, that I have found when it comes to the media community, the foreign community, kind of the investor community, is that there is a, just a lack of certainty or a lack of um, clarity on Pinduoduo, what we've seen with the stock, obviously the stock has kind of gone up, like fluctuated a lot. Uh, and it does seem as though the, the market doesn't know exactly what to think of it. And I think one reason is that the, your business model is, is, is innovative. It's kind of new and different. It is something that a lot of people don't have this kind of direct connection to. So it's less, less easy to understand. But from your point of view, what do you wish that the investment con- community understood better about Pinduoduo? Well, I would put it this way. I believe Pinduoduo, um, we are embarking on a number of very interesting initiative uh, or experiments when it comes mm. to e-commerce. And over a four-year time span, a lot of it has proven to be quite effective. However, I think investors have to realize that we work or in a highly competitive mm. landscape where our efforts or our speed of execution, our focus of execution is very, very critical. I think it's important that the investors take a longer-term perspective uh, as opposed to get too hung up on our quarterly results. Because if you actually look back at what we have done in terms of our spending quarter over quarter, our investment in our users has been incredibly consistent. And our messaging to our uh, investors has been uh, very consistent. We are continuing investing in our users and as I would say that users become more confident in their spending on our platform. Uh, they will become more active. And be- when once they become more active, the mer- merchants become more active themselves in terms of advertising because they get better ROI on advertising. And, and as Al and James, you know, our revenue come entirely or almost entirely from advertising by merchants. So comes back again to... Um, making sure that our user base are very, very active, very, very confident uh, and comfortable, really, in terms of their spending on our platform. So um, in terms of what we're doing as a platform, it's actually very singularly focused on users. And I think we just need the investors to give us a little bit more time. You know, um, Colin has talked about Pinduoduo as, you know, a four-year-old Yao Ming in the shareholders letter. <laughs> Some of you might have read that, right? We have managed to achieve a lot in a very short time frame. But don't forget, we are still investing. Uh, we're, we still very much see ourselves in the investing stage as opposed mm-hmm. to harvesting. So we will continue to spend and we need investors that we will urge investors to give us a little bit more um, time to um, uh, let this play out. Okay. And this, you know, at the risk of uh, 
going back to the financials a little bit, I'd love to ask a couple questions on restricted cash, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I just kind of would like to know and understand, like, how you, like, where does the restricted cash kind of come from? How does it fit in with Pinduoduo? And, you know, I guess how should, you know, how does the company view it and how should investors view it? And if they're, you know, if people are worried about it, what would you, what would you say? Sure. Uh, the first thing I would say is that restricted cash is, uh, uh, for us is actually a quite a straightforward accounting, uh, entry. Restricted cash reflects the payments that we receive from, uh, consumers before we pass them on to merchants. So the way we, the way it works on Pinduoduo, given we are a third party e-commerce platform is we collect the uh, money from users once they confirm purchase. And whilst the purchase, uh, whilst the merchandise is being shipped to our user, there's usually a span of three to four days and sometimes, you know, a bit longer when, uh, before the goods actually gets to the hand of consumers. And once the consumer confirms receipt and are happy with the quality, then we go ahead and release the restricted cash to merchants. So if you also look on our balance sheet on a liability, there is a merchant's payable line item. The two figures are actually highly correlated because these are basically the money we're holding escrow on behalf of the merchants. You also, I mean, Pinduoduo also has, if I'm not mistaken, a pretty, like, pretty good return policy for customers, right? They can return the goods and get their money back. Is that that's just right. like a set set amount of times? Yeah. Yes. So we have a uh, seven day uh, return policy. And the users actually will reach out to the merchant first to resolve the, uh, any dispute. Yeah, we don't want it to keep you too much longer. We're just about uh, just about done here. But um, I do want to know a little bit more. You know, how do you view? One question I get uh, asked quite often about Pinduoduo is about Pinduoduo's moat, right? Because they're so you're a relatively young company. If you compare, for example, with JD, you know, JD has this, uh, you know, very kind of expansive network of, of, um, kind of this, uh, you know, logistics infrastructure, I guess. And that is kind of, it helps them have this kind of moat around their business. Pinduoduo is new. They're still, you're still getting established. How is Pinduoduo building their moat and how can they protect their current business from uh, another up and coming startup that may want to uh, be doing to Pinduoduo what Pinduoduo did to, for example, Alibaba? Um, so, Al, thank you for that question. I would put it this way. Um, Pinduoduo, I think we actually approach e-commerce fundamentally very differently from um, other players that we see in the marketplace. As we were founding, or I, I would say as uh, Colin was founding uh, Pinduoduo, we spent a lot of time understanding other e-commerce players, their strengths, their weaknesses. And more importantly, we spent time understanding users, uh, in particular mo- users in the mobile era. This is why when we set about creating our e-commerce business model, we decided to put users at the very center of everything we do. Because of it, we actually built a technology infrastructure. Uh, the, um, the thinking or the framework behind it is essentially a distributed, uh, or to use the technical term, is dis- uh, distributed artificial intelligence. Meaning that our effort or emphasis are not aggregating data to a central system and try to analyze it from that perspective. But instead, we actually focus on specific user as a, um, a node. Uh, so every user's decision making has impact on everyone else in, within their social network. 
And that's where I would say that our uh, approach fundamentally differs from that of other e-commerce players. Uh, it is this focus on individual users. It is the focus on them and their in, uh, interaction with other people. And of course, um, this is not enough. Now, at the end of the day, it is about running faster. It is about continuing to update ourselves and understand how our users are changing, um, how their behaviors are migrating over time. This is, again, why we are very focused when we think about mode or, you know, our competitive position to focus on our user engagement. So as, you know, as of June, we have an MAU of 366 million. That's a lot of active users on our platform. We see these metrics as very critical um, evidence of us being on the right path. The sales and marketing are important. Our investment in technology are important to continue to build out this um, user experiences. And there's, you know, no better, um, uh, I would say that fundamentally e-commerce in China, even though it's been around for almost 20 years now, uh, it is still growing, right? This is not a zero-sum market for us. You can see that, you know, a lot of e-commerce players are growing uh, quite well in the less developed areas of China. We are finding growth even in the first tier and second tier of China. So the marketplace is big enough for multiple multiple players. We see our approach to be fundamentally different than that of other players. And as long as we continue to do what we do well, uh, we believe users will come, uh, purchasers will come, and the merchants will come to our platform. So that, I think, above anything else, creates the defense for us. Great. Thanks. Uh, James, do you have any questions before we let, uh, we let David go? Yeah, one more, if I can. I'll try to combine two questions. So we noted that Pinduoduo recently raised uh, $1 billion, adding to the war chest, uh, which at the end of Q2, I think, was about $4.6 billion cash and short-term investments. I guess, how will Pinduoduo deploy this capital? Will 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 you guys keep uh, kind of investing through the income statement? Or are there kind of new initiatives or new areas that, um, that you'll look at as kind of e-commerce evolves and you're keeping track of your users and what's happening? Well, James, I think, you know, I, first of all, you're right about the numbers. So Pinduoduo has a strong cash reserve. Um, we did, uh, we do have 4.6 billion of cash. In fact, net cash, I would say at the end of June. And, um, given the right financing opportunity, we went ahead and actually raised another billion dollar at the end of September. If you look, however, if you look through our income spend or cash flow system, you will see that most of our investings through the PNL, as you say, through the income statement, is actually funded by our operating cash flow for the most part, right? Most of the funds that we have raised um, during our IPO, the following offering in February, and the convertible bond that we just did uh, are still sitting on our balance sheet. We have um, decided to actually continue to, um, you know, uh, increase our cash reserve because we want to maintain flexibility to the extent we see investment opportunity that will really accrue to the long-term intrinsic value of our platform. Uh, for the time being, we will co- uh, be continuing to spend on technology in R&D and in our uh, business operations uh, to help improve our user experience. Um, I mean, the one thing that we have built out or rolled out in the first part of this year was our e-way build system to make sure that our users have better uh, transparency on logistics. Um, as you, we discussed earlier, we are spending efforts on C2M. We're also doing something similar with our Dodo Farm initiative in the agriculture business. 
So we are working with farmers locally, helping them to, well, just to decide when to plant, how to plant and when to harvest and to integrate again that concept of production and with the uh, demand side uh, to basically help them also increase their own income at the same time achieve best value for consumers. So you can see that, you know, there's actually quite a lot of business operation areas we, we could be using our um, uh, uh, capital and resources. Great. <laughs> Anything else, James? I mean, I'm, I'm sort of curious if if you had to pick one competitor, <laughs> JD or Alibaba, and say which one's kind of the tougher, the tougher one. You know, that might be sort of unfair uh, question, but Pinduoduo is a latecomer to e-commerce in China. We came to the market at a point where there's a very clear duopoly in the marketplace. We obviously learned tremendous amount from both what they have done. Um, well, and you know where they could be potentially room for for improvements or you know differentiation, uh, should we say? Ali's business model um, is a little bit closer to ours, uh, meaning that it's a three P business model. It's an open platform. JD is fundamentally a little bit more closed system, a little bit more like Apple, if you will, to draw that analogy. However, as we think about it, um, we actually find that you know as long as the competition is fair. It actually helped us to grow. You know, and one thing we have learned and what we have been able to succeed on is being razor focused on our consumers, right? As long as we address consumers' um, demand well, uh, we have been able to target and identify. You know, think of this, you know, particularly the case in tier one, tier two cities. These users are well saturated, well penetrated by, you know, the top uh, players, but they're still coming to our platform because we're offering them value. That they do not see on you know their existing or exist from the existing players. Where we find quite frustrating, I would say, is you know competitive tactics that are you know more coercive in nature, right? Um, some of our merchants are being forced to pick sides, have to shut down their stores from our platform. Um, we actually find those um, behaviors or tactics to be quite disturbing because not only does it destroy value for our merchants who want access to more channels, it also limits or it hurts our consumer in terms of the ability to have choices. So I would say from Pinduoduo's perspective, um, one of the very core value to us is continue to be very open. We offer our merchants our own e-way bill system, but at the same time, we give them choices to work with other e-way bill system, including that of our competitor. We let our consumers choose what payment system they want to use. They work with WeChat Pay, they work with Alipay, they even work with Apple Pay. So we want to make sure that everybody have the most choice. And I think we actually set a very high bar for ourselves because that means we have to offer a better solution than everybody else. Otherwise, you know, we take the risk that, you know, ourselves, you know, so actually this is a way to make sure that our team continue to run very, very hard. Yeah, it's if anyone who's been following, uh, you know, e-commerce in China for the last decade or two, you know, knows that it is, uh, it is an, it's nasty out there. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's some rough competition. So, uh, it's not exactly. And, and part of, part of the reason I think it's so rough is that it's still, I mean, it's an area that's still growing in huge ways where, whereas other parts of China obviously are slowing down. You know, you see the e-commerce players are are growing. I mean, double digits. You know, well into double digits. So, yeah, the the pie is big. Well, there's still so much that has yet to be digitized. You know. Yeah, I, I would actually say on the back of that though, because the industry it is growing overall. I actually think mm-hmm. there are more value that we can collectively create. You know, such as you know what we talk about in terms of C two M, right? I mean, this is actually fundamentally redesigning 
uh, a lot of the existing uh, supply chains or you know distribution uh, systems in China that are quite outdated given today's modern age with the internet. So there's a lot of value to be created by, um, you know, essentially reconsidering what uh, the social norm is and actually leveraging the platform's um, uh, influence, um, you know, both us and our competitors' platforms to help create more you know, savings and efficiency across the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've noticed um, w- an- another thing where we're going over time, but oh well. Um, <laughs> uh, the one thing I've noticed, and you talked about it on your last earnings call, and it was one, I think, one of the reasons why you know we we saw the markets respond very well to to your your latest earnings is that. Pinduoduo has been able to gain more, like you said, more first and second tier city users. This was a big question. You know, a lot of people, they didn't know Pinduoduo. Even our Chinese, my Chinese friends didn't, weren't big Pinduoduo users because, you know, my friends were in Beijing or Shanghai and so many of Pinduoduo's growth was happening in these, in the countryside or in these kind of third, fourth tier cities. Um, but we do see that Pinduoduo is starting to have growth in the, the first or second tier markets. And uh, that that's not something that happens very often. You know, it, it's it, it it tends to be a lot easier for a company to go from up market to down market than from down market to up market. Um, are there any kind of principles that you've been trying to follow in order to pursue some of those? Um, you know, that that middle class or that upper middle class that um that you started to to be able to get to in the 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 first the first tier cities. Well, actually, I don't. Um, I think we have actually talked about this. Mm. Um. Uh, this is what I uh, mentioned at the very beginning, right? The concept of value for money. Mm. This is truly universal, mm. right? So um, what we are trying to do is understanding the different uh, users and understanding what makes them tick. And, you know, uh, and the, the more we understand them, the more uh, we can present them with the right product. What is, you know, well, because this, we, we, t- we sometimes talk about our platform being merchandise looking for buyers as opposed to buyer looking for merchandise, mm. Because we surface the right merchandise in front of you as you browse through our platform, there are going to be things that pique your interest that you may not otherwise uh, would have thought you need or things that you might have overlooked, right? So the way we think about our approach, um, you know, for the lack of better analogy to use it, you know, Google versus Facebook, we are the Facebook of e-commerce relative to more of a search-based Google approach of our some of our competitors. And we actually see longer run both of these platforms to have its own place within the China's e-commerce system and should be able to derive a very good success. And we don't think users will, you know, choose to use one platform versus the other, but instead it's going to be, can you find what you need um, or how can you find what you are looking for at that moment most efficiently uh, and how do you go about tackling that problem? So it comes back to, again, you know, the more I understand the users, the better my um, uh, recommendation should be. And Hopefully, with better recommendation, better conversion, and uh, what we are already seeing is, you know, users are not getting over that initial, um, I would say, um, kind of a brand recognition hurdle that you know Pinduoduo is only for the third tier, fourth tier cities. People now realize on Pinduoduo they can find merchandise that you know, you know, uh, they want at good value, right? So we're seeing more and more users who want to buy iPhone, for example, to say, hey, maybe I should go look at Pinduoduo. I heard they have great um, uh, deals for um, iPhones. And you know, if we think of it this way, once you come and buy an iPhone, which is you know several thousand dollar uh, purchase item on our platform. You know, for you to buy another fifty dollar to try a uh, basket of fruits isn't isn't going to be that difficult, 
right? So it's again building that you know build a uh, user behavior, uh, building people's um, com- uh, uh, comf- um, yeah, making people more comfortable about uh, engaging with us for e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Getting getting into the kind of their their habits, basically like that. Uh, that that seems to be something that you've done very effectively, especially with kind of these the on the the more countryside area, right? Just kind of when it comes to these things like toilet paper or these everyday these everyday needs, like right? you just kind of ingrain yourselves into their kind of, uh, you know, user habits and, uh, you know, take off from there. Anyways, um, but yeah, David Liu, uh, VP of strategy for Pinduoduo. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was, it was great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for your time. Well, thanks again uh, to David Liu from uh, VP of Strategy from Pinduoduo uh, for joining us. Um, that was that was uh, very very interesting. Um, one of the things that I really took away there, James, was uh, just kind of this. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, I think we all knew that this was the case, but just kind of a reiteration, an emphasis of just how kind of uh, like nasty the competition in e-commerce in China can be, and almost this kind of you see this kind of merger of uh, what we've seen, you know, e-commerce has always been kind of a really nasty fight between JD and Alibaba for so long. But in addition to that, you see it's, there's a soft bankification as well, where you just have so much more of this money that has flooded in with some of these bigger players like like Pinduoduo. And then you're seeing kind of the, some of that low-hanging fruit going away. So there is, um, you know, they have to kind of fight harder for for what's there. So it's nasty, but it's it's definitely fun to watch. Oh, yeah. I mean, I haven't actually read the book yet, but it's on my list. But uh, Mike Isaac was super, super pumped, super pumped. Yeah, the about the the goes into like kind of the competition with DD that Uber faced in China, and just how I mean, cutthroat is probably an understatement. So I mean, it's not just e-commerce; it's everything, and like every Mm. just competition is kind of the the lay of the land when it comes to China. If you're an entrepreneur, or if you're, I mean, even if you're a pretty big company, it's still very, very competitive. I mean, look at, uh, you know, we've seen it in coffee. We've seen it in, uh, you know, it's all, it's really everywhere. Uh, you can't get away from it. Yeah. And it is what makes kind of what, what we do in, in following this so interesting because I think you see kind of the best and worst sides of, of the country and, 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 you know, tech <laughs> and all these, you know, and venture capital and all this stuff, um, kind of combine is that you do have this, you know, these really innovative, really kind of nimble business models where at the same time, like there's just such vicious competition that, you know, it does, um, it means that someone like Ann Stevenson Young has plenty, plenty to work with as a, as a short seller too. So, yeah, but I mean, we'll let you, you, uh, you, our listeners kind of f- figure out for yourselves. Um, you know, Pinduoduo is definitely a fun one to follow. It's one of our, uh, kind of, uh, one of the favorites of our watch list. So, but, but, uh, yeah, well, you know, we'll see, we'll see where that goes, uh, in the coming, you know, months and years. Uh, James, anything else that we want to, we want to say to our, uh, to our listeners? I think just, you know, if you like the podcast, uh, this one in particular, if you have any feedback on it, please reach out to us. Uh, you can add us on Twitter, um, James Hull X, H U L L X, Elliot Zagman. E L L I O T T Z A A G M A N. Yeah, on Twitter. Uh, two L's, two T's, two A's. And there's also a email address, uh, China Tech Investor at Outlook.com. You can shoot us some thoughts, feedback, and obviously, you know, give us. A rating that helps spread the message, you know, retweet us on Twitter or whatever. 
But yeah. Positive review. Positive review. All that stuff is good. Five stars, five stars. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just also just let us know what you think about, you know, us having on people like David, right? The, you know, people who are, you know, spokespeople for companies, you know, it, it, it is a little different than what we normally do, but it also gives us, you know, kind of an interesting window into how they view themselves and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, what these companies are all about. So, yeah. So let us know what you think. Yeah. And, and I guess another thing I'm curious is who, who else would you guys want to hear from? You know, what other companies, if you, if we could get them on, you know, um, would you like to hear? Uh, it's another, anyway. I think Pinduoduo is particularly interesting to me just because it's one of three big, it's become, you know, in the last four years, one of three big e-commerce players. And that's pretty impressive in a country where e-commerce is the biggest part of, you know, consumption as a percent of total consumption uh, is pretty awesome. So, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it was. it's also, you know, it's one of those where there's just so much potential in either direction, right? I think, you know, we've seen just through its volatility that, that the market is still trying to decide, you know, what what exactly it's going to be. So it's one of those those companies that that has the potential to really take off even further and or to, um, you know, to, to disappoint as well. So, you know, we'll be keeping an eye on them. Yeah, I'll just say one more thing. And that's that, you know, without we're not I don't want to comment on it, but you see a lot of these private companies that stayed private for a really long time try to IPO and Pinduoduo was a young company and IPO'd you could say early, you know, in yeah. comparison. And so you do see, you know, the volatility I think is probably somewhat normal, you know, for a younger company that's mm. but I think Pinduoduo's handled it pretty well. And, you know, if you're an investor and you've managed to handle it well yourself, you know, bravo, it's hard, it's harder to do in the public company than it is a private company, right? Because the, you know, there is a price every day and it, it's moving. But yeah, you know. Yeah. All right, cool. Join us next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Did we mention the newsletters? What? The, the... Oh, techno.com slash newsletters for your daily dose of China tech. And then catch us next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye-bye now. 